Welcome to Coaching with Mastery and Elegance with Tijan Jenko. This is Master Certified Coach and Board Certified Health and Wellness Coach. And in this podcast, we talk about life concepts, philosophical concepts, a behavioral concept that are helpful for coaches to self-reflect and get a deeper understanding of how they relate to the world around themselves, as well as uh, their ability to support their clients. And I have my wonderful companion, Marta Regalado with me. Welcome, Marta. How are you? I am good. Thank you so much for that. Welcome. I am happy to be here. I am happy to see you. And I guess we're going to talk about the newness and happy new year to you. Thank you. Happy new year to you as well. And it's pretty crazy because it's almost February. It is. It in fact is. So would you like to share with our audience that where are you going to take us to today in our 12th episode? Absolutely. I would love to. So when there's a lot of talk about new year, new you, and I feel like we are bombarded with this marketing about you know, New Year's resolutions and becoming the person that you want to become. And, and it's almost like it's, it's this feeling of, you know, you're not okay how you are and you need to become this way. And this is the time to do it. And it just feels like there's a lot of pressure. And for the first time, actually, this year, this January, there was kind of like this counter marketing strategy that I was perceiving where people were saying, you know what, we, they were calling out the new year, new you. So I thought that was really interesting. And I'm curious to hear your take on it. Well, um, thank you for presenting uh, this as a marketing impact or slogan to shift people's consciousness towards buying their things. <laughs> um, we have all bunch of holidays in the US with those, don't we? And, and they are now spreading around the world, such as Valentine's, buy this, do that. And um, it is about our choice, the new year, new you, but the, the newness needs to be staying within the person whenever we feel like when we want to renew ourselves then we can decide not when somebody decides externally for us and so that is impactful for the people that they look for external motivation to get themselves going and even if that is the case then I will invite everybody to think about what requires uh, external forces for them to get themselves towards change. Having said that, um, really that the new year is not new <laughs> until March mm -hmm. arrives, right? Um, in, in the paganistic times, that uh, newness of the year was celebrated with the vernal equinox sometime around March 21st. Mm -hmm. In fact, in a lot of the culture, including the Turkish culture that I am from, it's called Nevruz, which is also comes from a Persian holiday. 
And um, that is to mark the return of the sun, return of the heat, the return of the spring in the northern hemisphere, right? The shifting the light uh, so that one feels along with the nature, along with the spring, what am I going to do with the re refreshed energies in the winter? Um, we are also like the rest of the nature in the northern hemisphere in a recovery mode. Everything is frosted. Everything is there. We need to incubate, not necessarily start something new. So um, those would be the my thoughts around that. What's happening for you when you hear all that? Oh, well, I love how you reflect on kind of following the patterns in nature mm -hmm. and letting that guide us. For example, you know, the return of the sun, it's almost like a rebirth, obviously a rebirth, you know, in nature, you see the flowers coming up and, you know, the trees gaining, getting their leaves back. And it's almost um, a rebirth or an awakening, maybe not an awakening for us as well. So it's interesting how you can follow these patterns as opposed to following almost what society dictates, which is this constant going and going and going and being productive, where we're not allowed to have these periods of incubation. Yeah, beautiful, because it's also creates discord within us, right? There were some research about during the time of Hitler, how the musical scales is shifted from the natural tones in another tone. And mm -hmm. this is just another thing that when uh, the calendar shifted from Gregorian calendar into Julian calendar, the new year was shifted from March to January. So mm -hmm. then you can see we are getting more and more disconnected from the nature and that feeds that distortion into many things including the human beings have lesser compassion for the world around us, all the other inhabitants in this planet, along with our capacity to rest or reproduce or be creative as you were sharing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's really interesting how, when there is that disconnection from nature, there's less compassion and less creativity. Yeah, it, I mean, we're talking about something else, but I want to share that there is a language also quite significant in that when um, we take, for example, the home of the deer, home of the turtle to build houses, and we call that development. Mm -hmm. Then what do we expect? Then the persons are going to occupy there. They're thinking we're helping with the development. <laughs> Instead of we're taking away another inhabitant's place. And what do we need to be concerned about that? Yeah. And um, yeah, it's a different level of consciousness. And more we are in sync with the rest of the inhabitants in this planet and not see them as a, 
scientific uh, plant names, scientific names of the animals and anything. I think that in the, at least within the US, almost if you look around Christmas time where people are collecting donations, only animals that are shown are the dogs and the cats. Mm-hmm. The rest aren't even considered. Mm-hmm. So we are cohabitating in this planet. <laughs> that may be a news for our followers, but yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like you're speaking of this kind of this unity. Correct. Yeah. And the way back to compassion, yeah. you know, it sounds like is this connection, kind of reconnecting with nature is maybe yeah. is possibly yeah one of the ways absolutely um, because we can't really connect to those marketing campaigns really can we yeah so yeah so back to to the topic <laughs> of course um and speaking of you know those marketing campaigns that you know more and more and more and you i'm curious what your thoughts are on new year's resolutions yeah so the re Resolution requires re-solutioning of something. So if a resolution is pushing the self to do something that you have no motivation of doing it, how likely it's going to work? It requires some level of self-reflection, understanding where do I need a re-solutioning for this. And and people also look at the symptom treatments like, okay, weight loss. But weight loss isn't about the weight loss, never is, is it? It is about one's inability to honor themselves to make a better choice, dietary choice, or one's inability to understand what emotions they are suppressing that they are looking for other ways to soothe within or whatever that may be that maybe they are deriving themselves too much for the activities as Western culture pushes us, as you said, and looking for extra energy to do that. So whatever that may be needs to be looked at and then find uh, behavioral mind, consciousness, neurologic, somatic, whatever the shift requires that to be, then we can find a new solution for what is not working. Otherwise, saying one can say themselves, I'm going to do that in the next year. (laughs) I don't know that um, we both know that isn't going to work. What do you think? Yeah. And I think a key here is the self-reflection that you talked about and looking at and understanding what is going on inside. What are the needs that aren't being met? Or maybe what are the the feelings that don't want to be felt, which are leading to the undesired behavior. And I'm curious for someone who has been struggling with, let's see, these resolutions or always setting a goal, a behavioral goal that they're not able to meet. How would you suggest that they go about doing that self-reflection? 
So one then needs to look at that what is my relationship to this goal? Is it something that it really is part of my value system or not? I'm doing it to comply with my, um, compete with my next door neighbor, comply with what society wants me to do, what my spouse wants me to do, whatever it is. First, recognition of that, what is in me wanting to have this goal. And if I get this goal, what am I expecting that will be different in my life? Even as simple as that, once we understand those things, then we have some clue towards the desired state. In fact, then we will have a lot of clue whether it is a desired state or not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Because often that goals aren't met, not because person's incapacity, it is because there is a lack of passion. Yeah. So is it in fact an authentic desired state and getting to the bottom of that. And it sounds like coaching is kind of is ideal Absolutely. for this form of reflection, because you're not doing it on your own, which is more challenging, especially if you're new to self-reflective work, but you have someone guiding you and someone asking you the questions that you were just bringing up. Absolutely. I mean, in this case, I would recommend that this is something, as you know, in my mentor sessions, I often bring it up. Coach's ability to challenge the client mm -hmm. is necessary so that they will really understand and can they even defend the goal? I mean, th that kind of vigor is required in, in a session like that. Yeah. And I have to admit, challenging a client is not always easy. And I'm curious, how do you challenge an, a client? I imagine you do it in a very loving way, but I'm kind of curious if you could just speak to that very quickly. I will tell. And then if you're okay with it, I will also ask your experience <laughs> because you've been challenged <laughs> by me, right? When I'm asked that, I say to my students often that I do it with a lot of love in my heart. I talk about creating sacred space. I fill that space. And, and the if the listeners are not familiar with that, they can visit jenkacoaching.com and put it in the search field, creating sacred space to read the blog on that. We will also put that information with the podcast. But um, somebody needs to tell the client at some point or more than one point throughout the engagement, when they are walking out the bathroom with the toilet paper tissue <laughs> sticking <laughs> there behind, right? <laughs> and our job is to share observational point of views 
with them that when they are unable to see. So it, it is an ethical part of the engagement that we cannot hide what we see from them. And, um, but, and sometimes it needs to be set with, with, with the fierce compassion. It has to require, as, as my branding is, that a lot of precision. You cannot, like a surgeon's hands, you cannot be going wishy-washy around it, opening a, a painful area. You need to go quickly, get it, get out, and then offer humor, a loving uh, statement afterwards to deepen the connection, deepen the rapport, and support the client at the same time. So I'm not for the feedback sandwich thing. Mm-hmm. But um, there is almost always, it's safe to say that for me, at least in my sessions, absurdity of whatever it is painful. Mm-hmm. So I often use that to get the client to laugh at the situation. And then um, then there is a release through laugh or crying. And then we can actually work with that. What are your thoughts on that? And also, if anything, you want to share from your experience. Yeah. So what came up for me? I mean, definitely doing it in a very loving way, which is, you know, now I'm talking about what how I've experienced you as my coach challenging me. Mm-hmm. So definitely the love. And I think for me, it's the humor. And you just gave us a great example of it by using the toilet paper metaphor. I mean, it was funny and you just can't help but laugh and see a little bit of the absurdity that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and just, and quickly for our listeners who don't know what the feedback sandwich is, could you just describe that for for us? Yeah, there is this uh, method that people say, put the challenging feedback in between the positive feedbacks. That's the feedback sandwich. But to me, it diverts the attention. You're saying something positive, and then people almost expect there is a butt coming out. (laughs) (laughs) And you go back into the positive again, and there is that wanting them to feel better. It's, It's the feedback givers need, not the recipient need. So that methodology, I don't recommend at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you familiar with that? Method? I am familiar with the feedback sandwich. And I have to admit, I use it um, for lack of, you know, having something, I don't want to say better, but let's say better in place. And so I do fall on the feedback sandwich. And I think it's because I have a lot of trouble challenging clients. I have a a lot of trouble giving any kind of constructive feedback. And so I do, you know, construct this, this big sandwich um, in order to kind of, I guess, uh, because of my needs. So I think this is really, this is really interesting. And this is very useful that there is this other way that you're talking about, you know, filled with, you know, fierce compassion. And precision, instead of beating around the bush, you go directly to the point and you do it quickly. 
in and out, like you said. Absolutely. What I see as a mentor, as you know, that I listen the coach recordings all over the world in every level. And what I see often that I call that coaching under the table, because coach sees something. And then they don't go about saying it. They say it in a hidden way. And another time in a hidden way, I'm listening the whole thing like, why don't you say what you say? <laughs> client doesn't understand. And that's being dishonest. As a coach, we cannot be that. And I do have course around uh, offering developmental feedback. If anybody's interested, they can actually fill the form and the website jenkocoaching.com so they can learn better ways to do that but certainly that um it's not something i recommend but how effective is it for you in your sessions offering the feedback sandwich um that's a very good question i don't i'm i'm not sure how effective it is because i've never gotten feedback on my feedback sandwich <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't feel good. And I am curious, since you brought up, you know, these other the coaches that you mentor and you listen to their recordings, what do you think makes it so challenging for them to be direct? It is mostly a cultural wound, a global cultural wound, mm -hmm. because a lot of the culture is the one that you come from and my, I come from. In Turkish culture, if you have some feedback for the uh, for a person, you tell that feedback to everyone else but the person. <laughs> <laughs> and then how do you break that pattern? Because you were told, oh, don't say that, that will get upset and this, that, the other thing. So that requires, and in my mentor sessions, I often not only listen to coach's competency, but I'm looking at what is in the coach's constitution, mm -hmm. physical, emotional, mental, behavioral constitution, getting in their way to demonstrate the competency. I have yet to meet a person that doesn't understand intellectually what the concept is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is something else is getting in the way. So I coach my students and also give them the feedback and all that. So um, it is in general, the cognitive distortions, the cultural distortions get in the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In my view. Yes. And I can see how that feels very weighty. You know, I come from a similar culture where it's very difficult to give and, and receive feedback it's not part of the culture so it's it's definitely something that's very it's new and can be challenging and it's it's nice to hear that there is a way of doing it that can feel that can feel good because it's honest and it's authentic so thank you for sharing and i can say that um i had relationship to the northern european cultures where they are excessively blunt about their point of view <laughs> And that doesn't agree with me either. I, so one can find a way that works for you. You can be loving and caring and holding the person and sharing what is 
about the toilet tissue <laughs> and then go back to the supporting them about putting that away right that but you don't need to be harmful about saying that which i found also not only in the northern european cultures to my experience i lived in the corporate culture for 23 years and they labeled it as constructive criticism there is no construction in that criticism, the way it's being presented most of the time that I experienced in the corporate culture, critiquing somebody is a helpful thing. Because in a critique, we're looking for how can I help them to get better? Criticism, if the idea is that wanting to put somebody down often to feel better, which I speak about in my developmental feedback sessions, but uh, in that workshop. So those two are different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, thank you so much for sharing, a, you know, your experience with feedback and how you offer feedback. This has been, it's been very helpful. Glad. And, and I'm curious, you know, we've talked about feedback, we've talked about resolutions, and we've talked about goal setting in a way that is aligned with what you truly want, and what you truly value. And I wanted to go back to that part on values. And I know values, you know, if you're unfamiliar with values work, it can sound very broad and intimidating. Oh, what are my values? And it almost feels like, oh, these should be my values because my culture values this. Um, so I'm curious, how can we, and it, it sounds like this is really the values or the groundwork. It's like a framework, and then you can build on top of that once you know your values. Can you speak a little bit to how we define our values? I think that by birth, we are imposed upon the cultural values, familiar values. And one actually starts to question the value system when they arrive at the wisdom age, depending on their um, lifespan. For some people, it's going to be around 30s. For some people, it's going to be 40s and all that. One starts to feel icky about doing something. So you are in the culture, you're doing it, but doesn't feel right. Or sometimes people arrive at the value questioning after a tragic event or illness or something that like, oh, what am I doing with my life? As you know that I work with um, the patients with cancer diagnosis. It's a serious diagnosis and people start to like, what am I doing and why am I doing it? Mm-hmm. So um, easiest way to recognize that what are you doing that doesn't feel good in your body? Somewhere in your body, either it's your belly, your heart, your neck, your shoulders, something is going to be constricted when you're doing something to tell you that wasn't okay. If you don't have a support system like a coaching, um, then start there. Follow the body, the Mm -hmm. somatic information uh, to find what works. Yeah. Thank you for that. So it sounds like 
tapping into tapping into it. Yeah. Somatically into your body. And does this feel good? Does it not feel good? You know, and I guess inquiring, what about it doesn't feel good? What would feel good? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, to working with a coach that um, often that the values are lists and all that, that people can find free lists online mm-hmm. and they are very superficial still. When I'm doing value work, it's like you take those lists and you dig 10 <laughs> miles down into the ground to look at the core of yeah. the human. And that requires a little bit distancing from the culture that they live in, from the culture that they were uh, brought up, from the family traditions and that or religious traditions and that requires some core strength for one to be able to detach a little bit and 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 reassess the self who the self is Mm -hmm. absolutely and Tijan I remember you and I did a session Mm -hmm. on it was kind of it was on needs and values um, and that was an incredible way to kind of dig deeper as you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because you did not, you know, what I said, stated at the beginning where my needs are values, you kept digging deeper and digging deeper. It was that you weren't satisfied with my first answer. <laughs> <laughs> I was curious about you. <laughs> And were you satisfied where we arrived? I did. And I had no idea that we were going to arrive there. Mm-hmm. So that was, it was really eye-opening. Yeah. And I want to, we were laughing here, but I want to also make it a little clearer for the audience, right? That um, that was also challenging the client when Marta is speaking mm. about, I wasn't satisfied I am (laughs) checking the client's ability, their core stance about the value. And when I'm seeing there is a wavering, then I'm going to insist. And and Mm -hmm. so that is part of the integrity and the partnership, required Mm -hmm. partnership of the coach. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, So going back to kind of, the new year, I I feel like people really enjoy reflecting on the past year and planning out their new year. What are your thoughts on having a practice where you think back and, you know, what went well this year? What were my successes? Where could I improve? And then playing out the new year, doing some visioning, some goal setting. Um, my view isn't about what were my successes and what do I improve and all that, which is a very interesting concept to arrive as a master black belt and <laughs> lean six sigma process improvement expert also <laughs> organizations and global organizations, right? Um, the view, I think the more compassionate view is what have I done in this year to spend my life essence my life source 
And how is that landing with me? Where have I arrived? And what is my relationship to the place that I have arrived? Where do I want to go from here? And what needs to be different, if anything, for me to go where I want to go next? And how authentic that destination for me? Is it that I want to go there? Is it my marketing crew <laughs> wants me to go there? Is it my person that I'm in relationship with wants me to go there? What is it happening? Right. Mm -hmm. And it is similar to I do those reflections. In fact, that every uh, December, I for a few years now in my mentor sessions, I dedicate the last session for people to do such reflections and come present to that supporting group for them and, and explaining what happened. I do that um, also in my end of engagement sessions with my clients to show the journey we traveled and how much was that digested, where they have arrived and where they want to go from there so it certainly is helpful in fact every year that I do that the December sessions that the, my student coaches tells me how amazing that was and and often my clients tell me even if they are renewing the, their contract with me I make a point that we do end of engagement sessions so they see the load road traveled and where we want to go next mm -hmm. it's like a milestone on the road it's important uh, from my point of view it's part of my practice and I do it in many ways what are your um, practices around that if any uh, my practices you know what I am kind of I'm very flexible and I do whatever kind of comes naturally in the moment so some years I do reflect and I think and I, I answer questions and I journal and I write things out and other years I don't. Mm -hmm. So it's very different, but every new year we spend at the beach. And so for me, it's this very grounding experience to kind of start this new year feeling full of possibilities, full of hope um, for what's to come. So that's kind of, that's been my anchor. Mm -hmm. And uh-huh. And, and so I, I'm curious, you said you have this very compassionate view about how you kind of assess, you know, the year that passed and look at the year that's coming. And you talked about your corporate career. Did you have this compassionate view while you were in your corporate life? <laughs> or was this something that you developed as a coach? Um, I believe that I had the compassion all along. It is part of my being and my core essence because people, even I remembered meditating in the morning and then going into the corporate offices, stepping in a meeting room and people say, Oh, oh now to generate, we feel better even without she saying anything. <laughs> so, but my ability 
to utilize my superpower expanded with my self-reflections and um, becoming a skillful coach because I believe that the coaching gives much better language to relate, to connect, to whether it's someone else or myself, to express. Mm, that's beautiful. Thank you. And I love how it's part of, you know, your core and your essence and how you would bring it in everywhere and offer others just by your presence, the sense of, of comfort, it sounds like. It is. Yeah. And for a while, I mean, you get this feedback, oh, you're so inspirational and you're so calm, calming and you don't know what to do with that until <laughs> <laughs> someday arrives or some coach arrives. And for me, it was becoming a coach. Then I had the tools to utilize my gifts with much better skill. Mm -hmm. and own those they carry the responsibility because it's part of we were talking about this in our group coaching yesterday that we are all unique and that uniqueness comes with the responsibility to offer into the society where we are member mm -hmm. uh where we are the member right mm -hmm. so um yeah we need that's the part of the fulfillment of our destiny that's part of our highest potential that i always speak about mm -hmm. that's beautiful tishan thank you for offering that and i think that's a really important message for anyone who does have these who of course we all have these gifts but for the person who is afraid mm -hmm. to show them yeah you know, it's, it's important to hear that it is, it is a responsibility to share these gifts with others. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, um, and leave the planet with no dance or no song left <laughs> unsung or undanced, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So as we wrap up our session, is there anything else that you would like to add? Well, I would say that I think it's a personal choice when to do these larger detailed reflections, when to decide what we want to resolve and how we want to resolve it, how authentic that is to us, whether it's done in December whether it's done in March, whether it's done in the middle of the summer, right? Um, looking into our cycles are also important. It is, um, whenever we're forcing ourselves to decide what my next version, whatever point oh, that's going to be, am I actually in a cycle to do that or do I still have mourning to do? Mm. Uh, do I still have digesting to do? I have all these undigested food in my belly, emotional packages in my belly. Can I actually get myself to do another thing? Mm -hmm. So that's all personal choice. Of course, it's helpful. And also what is important to find a support system, whether it's a coach or a book or, or a food. <laughs> 
<laughs> whatever that may be maybe it's an ocean or an animal companion yeah 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 thank you for that having that and having that support like you said and finding whatever works for you and honoring your own cycles that might not match what's happening outside of you but really being able to tap into what's going on and what it is you need in that moment beautiful yeah anything you wish to add um i think i mean a practice just an example of you know these self-reflective practices. So I wanted to share something that's really been helpful for me. Mm -hmm. A few weeks ago, I started a practice called Morning Pages. And it's part of a book called The Artist's Way. And every morning you wake up and you write, first thing you do, you write three full pages, kind of stream of consciousness, whatever is coming up for you. And I have found it quite transformative. And so I like how you're bringing up, you know, the support And I just wanted to give an example of something that has felt supportive for me in case it resonates for someone else. That's lovely. Thank you for that. It's often actually that sort of practice, reflective practice is helpful to getting, um, digesting whatever is undigested and recognizing um, new inspirations that are being downloaded onto us. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you for that. So as we close for today, I would love to hear about your upcoming events. So I have a um, mastery group coaching started yesterday, and it's going to be nine of the sessions this year still available if anybody wants to join. That is going to be around following the Sufi philosophy towards the pathways to heart And um, that has group coaching, also looking at those concepts for the coaches wanting to deepen their practice for self-understanding and add um, new languaging, new tools to their toolkit for their clients. Anything that you wish to share with the audience about that before I talk about my next upcoming event from your experience? Yeah, well, we've done one session and I have found it to be so far very, um, I don't know what the word is because they're, it's, it feels very grounding and very heart-centered and very aligned with the direction that I, I wish to go in, you know, growing, you know, or cultivating, you know, love and compassion, you know, more of it. And looking at kind of the unity, what we were talking about before of our world. Mm -hmm. So I, it was one session, I really enjoyed it. And it's a a very kind of safe space that you always create for us to express ourselves. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. And I'm glad that was enjoyable for you. Mm -hmm. Um, The next thing that I like to share is to neurologic approach to coach training. And this year I uh, divided them into two four week parts. And uh, the first part will start in February 17. We'll be focusing on cognitive distortions, neurolinguistic patterning, along with an inquiry that I have developed, Jenko method, reconstructive inquiry. And um, to that, 
to help coaches to become aware of these cultural distortions that we all carry as part of our upbringing and also neuro-linguistic patterns that we use without recognizing such as all or nothing thinking we brought talked about a couple of them in in this these uh, podcasts and along with my inquiry method to create that space which I was talking about earlier in this talk so it will start in February 17 we'll go for four weeks and the fifth week we do the case study presentations and then the second part will be sometime in the summer and mm -hmm. you also have taken that training. Anything you wish to share with the audience from your experience on that? Yeah. Um, so you use a beautiful metaphor when you talk about the training. And I think it was maybe in like the first session where there is this kind of beam of light, you know, that's kind of coming towards us and into us, but then it gets bent. Yes. Because of all, you know, the cognitive distortions, the, you know, uh, the pressure from, from the outside world. And it's a way to kind of unbend the light and allow it to go in, obviously using, you know, all these methods that you've created. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for mm. that. Yeah. So, and then the mentor sessions for February are open also for registration. They are helpful also along with the other training towards uh, core competencies that ICF and um, NBHWC requires. Well, wonderful. Thank you for sharing all your offerings. And this was such a pleasure as always. Thank you. It's been a pleasure and we will meet again soon. Thank you. Thank you.